0: Somebody had to actually write the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill back in 2021. Its proponents expected to help modernize old bridges and highways, among other things. My next guests helped Congress craft that bill. Now they're leading the Transportation Department team helping to implement it. For their work, they've won this year's Service to America Medal for Management Excellence. Gloria Shepard is Executive Director of the Federal Highway Administration. She joins me now. Ms. Shepard, good to have you with us. Thank you. And also joining me is the Executive Director of the Office of the Department of Transportation Undersecretary, Maria LaFever. Ms. Lefevre, good to have you with us. Good to be with you. All right. Let's talk about the background here. Everybody talks about infrastructure. You folks deal with it as we understand it, those of us that drive, take airplanes, take trains, whatever the case might be. What was the process like? Describe what it was like working with Congress, who actually has to craft this into language, what did you bring to them that helped them craft this bill? Maria?
1: Sure. Any legislation, we oftentimes help Congress through what's called technical assistance. And we get a lot of questions from Capitol Hill, both sides of the aisle, is asking are able to implement something and how we would implement if, you know, the language they sent us worked that way. So with countless hours of back and forth with our colleagues on on the legislative side to continue to put great ideas into a bill that uh, ended up coming to fruition.
0: All right. And uh, Gloria, everybody talks about the roads and the bridges, and we all encounter the ones we encounter, and some of the bridges are rickety and some of the roads are breaking up. Does the Federal Highway Administration, did you bring to this some kind of an organized knowledge of where the problem areas actually are?
2: FHWA has 52 divisions, one division in every state, including one in Puerto Rico and D.C. So when a congressional official or a senator or whomever calls and asks about a specific issue in their states, we are able to reach out to our division and get firsthand knowledge on what the situation is and be able to provide them with technical assistance if they want on how to fix the problem.
0: Now, a certain part of this bill is, in fact, devoted to the railroads and the highways and so forth. And as you point out, a lot of the roads come under state jurisdiction. Did you also have an idea of what the cost for the priority projects would add up to? You know, the bill was a trillion dollars, but that's just an arbitrary number. It sounds like you must have had to help them shape that number that would be for the infrastructure that the FHA oversees.
2: Yes, we have a national bridge inventory system and we have a pavement inventory system and we also work with the states on what we call their state transportation implementation program and in those programs are a list of projects that the states plan to implement over a period of time. So if we look at each state and what we call a step, we have an idea of what the state is contemplating for the next at least four years and if we look at the Metropolitan Long Range Plan that plan can be no less than 20 years, so we can see what they're planning out for in the future. So we get an uh, idea by calculating those costs to see what's necessary or what's required in order to put those projects in, and implement those projects and put the system, transportation system, back in a good state of repair.
0: Okay, and uh, Miss Lafever, you must have a view of everything that's not a road that is also infrastructure. How do the airport? situation, the uh, landing and whatever else is there, and all of the railroad infrastructure, which is private sector in some areas, it's public sector in other areas, sounds like a complicated thing to get a handle on.
1: Certainly, and similar, we have an idea of backlog of rolling stock and others, and for rail, the rail system that needs to be upgraded, and the backlog of upgrades, and then the new discretionary grant programs that we in Congress will be contemplating. So we had numbers. You have the regular authorization or reauthorization uh, for a five-year bill and add new discretionary grant programs or enhance the ones that we have with a larger dollar amount and try to fill in the gaps of some backlog of maintenance and growth. And we're working towards a really big number that we needed to get to to bring transportation system to the 21st century and beyond to help it grow, sustain, and remain the safest transportation system in the world.
0: By the way, is the Baltimore Tunnel part of the project is that <laughs> we're gonna ever see a new tunnel there
2: if the state puts that on their plan then yes you will see it but we rely on the states to identify what infrastructure needs repair and when it needs to repair
0: sure We're speaking with Gloria Shepard. She's executive director of the Federal Highway Administration, and with Maria Lefevre, executive director of the Office of the Undersecretary of Transportation. They, along with the Office of Railroad Development's Paul Nissenbaum, are winners in this year's Service to America Medal for Management Excellence. And now that the bill is passed, it's been around a couple of years, what are you seeing in terms of applications, the workload? Give us an update on the implementation of actually fixing infrastructure. Ms. Shepherd?
2: The workload has increased significantly um, because of the bipartisan infrastructure law. The states receive funds two ways, through their formula funds that goes directly to them, and as Maria mentioned, through discretionary programs. But we have a significant number of discretionary programs. Our last significant effort under the law was completed by September 30, when we allocated $61 billion in apportionments, for 12 formula programs for fiscal year 2024, the third year of funding under the legislation. The $61 billion in funding represents an increase of $17.6 billion in formula programs. The other thing I would like to just point out that even though we do highways and bridges and we do concrete, asphalt, and steel, this law is not only about those kinds of transportation projects. This law has provided us with an opportunity to work on historic initiatives, including supporting transportation safety. And Maria will tell you that safety is the premier focus for every mode in the U.S. DOT. It also enhances equity by reconnecting communities that were previously divided by transportation infrastructure. It implements electrification, which will help reduce our country's carbon footprint and strengthening supply chains. So we get a chance, as Maria mentioned, to work on a lot of different type of projects than we have before, like reconnecting communities. So this law is pretty expansive and not just about asphalt, steel, and concrete.
0: Yeah, I remember those uh, can be powerful projects. I remember there was a town called Milton in Massachusetts cut in half by the Southeast Expressway in the late 1950s, and finally they bridged it over and a whole community kind of came back together. So a lot of call for this kind of thing. Maria, tell us more about the safety aspects and are, for example, certain areas that have been maybe don't need rebuilding physically but have been deemed unsafe, will get some kind of a facelift to make them safer?
1: Absolutely. And in regards to the numbers as well, we're seeing our discretionary grant programs as well. We put out a notice of funding opportunity. They are still being oversubscribed. That means more applications than money that is, is there, and we still have to make you know a discretionary decision. But one of the main decisions that the secretary gets to, to make on those applications is safety, and safety is again the criteria of those discretionary. And even if a, a you know a community feels that uh, something is not safe, or a, not just a bridge but a grade crossing, we are making sure that we are prioritizing those applications as they come in and go through a, an extensive evaluation. And, you know, we're, we're helping with grade crossings, even if it's a bridge or put in a roundabout instead of a, a, a stoplight or a stop sign and making every day safer for the American user.
0: All right. And as people who spend their lives in the transportation domain, this must seem like a little bit of seventh heaven to you, even though there's a lot of work.
2: Well, it, it um, is. It, it is an honor. It's a tremendous honor, and we thank uh, the secretary and the deputy secretary and Carlos Monge, who Maria works directly for. But I want to point out, uh, Maria and I answer these questions. We say we, and we is an important word to us because we are the faces of the awards, but there's a lot of other people. We have uh, FHWA has upward close to 2,800 people, and all those people work to deliver the programs on a day-to-day basis uh, that affects Uh, the American people's lives and promote safety and and other priorities. So we means everyone who's worked on this bipartisan infrastructure law.
0: Okay, and uh, final word, Maria?
1: I second that, and we're uh, just the faces of this wonderful, humbling award. And, you know, there's 55,000 people at DOT, and in some way, some structure, they've all touched this wonderful bill. It's not only creating jobs within DOT, it's creating thousands of jobs outside of DOT.
0: Maria LaFever is Executive Director of the Office of the Undersecretary of Transportation. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. And Gloria Shepard is Executive Director of the Federal Highway Administration. Thank you as well.
2: Thank you. We appreciate the opportunity.
0: And they, along with the Office of Railroad Development's Paul Nissenbaum, are winners of this year's Service to America Medal for Management Excellence. We'll post this interview, along with a link to more information, at federalnewsnetwork.com slash drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before.
4: So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So, again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences. And that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission.
3: Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project that our work. Does. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Right. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few. And you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs?
4: Yes. And I... I- I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking, that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts Uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore, where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work, and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across